This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon, this is Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture and I'm Juliet Jacobs. They've been around since the time of dinosaurs and are said to be closely, more closely related to lilies and gingers than to true grasses. Seagrasses are the only flowering plants that can live underwater and are the main diet of dugongs and green turtles and provide a habitat for many smaller marine animals. But we are losing seagrasses rapidly and sadly, the misconception that they are inconsequential is further leading to their decline. So on this month's episode of the ABCs of Biodiversity, a series explaining why biodiversity loss is our loss, I'm joined by Dr. Gillian Wee, a marine ecologist and senior lecturer at the University of Malaya. And together we want to give props to this grossly undervalued part of our ecosystem. And Dr. Gillian also was recently awarded a three-year fellowship to study the growth of seagrass meadows and how to better restore this vital part of marine ecosystems by the Pew Charitable Trust. And she's going to tell us more about that. Welcome, Gillian. How are you today? Hello. Hi, Gillian. Thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me. You know, I just I was just recalling how I think it was back in 2015 when we first had you on this show to talk about seagrasses and how you converted a whole bunch of us into, you know, finally, truly appreciating everything that seagrasses have to offer. Um, so, yeah, let's, you know, let's talk about it. Um, I'm just going to make you do some repetition, I'm afraid. Talk to me about why, you know, what are seagrasses? You know, why are they considered the ugly duckling of marine conservation, sadly? Yeah, let's do a 101 on them. I'll be very happy to talk about seagrasses anytime. And like you said, yeah, the ugly duckling of the marine world. And I find that um, I, I can understand that, uh, but I'd like to actually uh, make people get excited about seagrasses. So what are seagrasses? Uh, they are marine flowering plants. They look very much like the grass that you see on land, except they grow on the seabed underwater. Um, they photosynthesize. This means that they need to, to live in waters that get enough uh, sunlight. So they live in very shallow water as a result of that, you know, from zero meters water depth right down to about 10 meters or even 20 meters if the water is clear enough. Mm-hmm. Um, it's great studying seagrass here in Malaysia because seagrass is uh, here in Malaysia. Uh, we are actually at the center of the seagrass hotspot in the world. So that's something that I really like to shout about. Uh, one thing about seagrasses, though, if you've heard the term seagrass meadows, well, um, I'd like to explain a little bit about that. When you have an environment where seagrass plants you know, grow very well, they're very dense and abundant, this collective of seagrass plants make up what we call a seagrass meadow. And if you want to imagine what a seagrass meadow is, think about cowboy country. You know, the cowboys riding their horses in the prairies or the pampas or the savannas. Yeah. Uh, yes, seagrasses growing underwater look pretty much like that kind of a landscape, except that they're all underwater and a little bit difficult for us to access, but really are critically important ecosystems. Mm-hmm. And correct me if I'm wrong, you were studying seagrasses, you know, way back when in Australia, and then you decided to come back and, and to focus your attention on Malaysia as well, isn't it? Yes, I did. I actually was initially studying seaweeds before that. Mm-hmm. But then I got really uh, excited about seagrasses, because I realized that nobody was really looking at seagrasses, you know, like seaweeds, there's some economic value associated with them, people eat seaweeds, so they're attractive. But seagrasses, I realized they're so important, but really, not very many scientists were studying them in Malaysia. And so I decided to study them for my PhD. 
and I and I was really lucky to get a place at the University of Western Australia because that's like seagrass paradise <laughs> <laughs> on the western coastline of Australia. Yeah, uh, it was I had a wonderful time uh, learning about seagrasses there, but I chose to focus on seagrasses in Malaysia because. Um, Tropical seagrass, especially in Southeast Asia, we they get just much less attention than temperate seagrasses. Mm-hmm. Is it quite likely that you know we've encountered seagrasses without even realizing that you know that was what it was? Uh, you know, as we were uh, you know on the shores or whatever. I mean, where would we find seagrasses here? Yeah, I think that if you saw seagrasses, you know, most people would actually think that they're something else. They think that they are land plants, you know, and just disregard them as such. So where would you find seagrasses? Well, if you if you were to walk on the beach, you would find them washed up on shore as well, you know, if they occur offshore. So we call that seagrass rack. And you would find them lining the shores, you know, they have leaves and flowers, you know, and roots just like your, your uh, grass on land. Um, however, uh, seeing them on lined up on the beach, that, that's not really attractive because they're all already <laughs> dead or half dead. But what's you know the beauty of seagrass is if you can snorkel or if you dive, uh, and and it doesn't have to be very deep uh, because you can snorkel in water that is like you know waist high, and you can see the beauty of seagrass before you. And even if you don't want to snorkel, let's say if you just don't want to get into the sea, it's still possible to experience the splendor. Uh, and the magnificence of seagrass, because if you just time it right, if you wait for when the tide goes down really low, uh, you can just walk out on them like as though you're, you know, walking out actually in a in on grass on land on a grassy and, meadow, right? Yeah, exactly on a grassy meadow. So so it's uh, the, if you know where to look, it's actually a very accessible and interesting ecosystem to explore. Okay. All right. And I know that I remember in our, some of our conversations that you do a lot of work in Johor, especially, correct? Yes, I do. Uh, for some reason or other, that seems to be the central point, the focus point of seagrasses in Peninsular Malaysia. So so that's my favorite place to be in, actually. <laughs> okay, yes. And I mean, I'm very, very envious because you get to see like dugongs and things like that. But we'll, we'll get to that. Um, let's talk about um, uh, the function seagrasses perform, right? Um, they are known, of course, for providing uh, many ecosystem services. Maybe you can help elaborate. Yes, uh, yeah, so many ecosystem services. But I think I'll start with the one that's nearest and dearest to the hearts of Malaysians. Malaysians love to eat mm-hmm. and we love seafood, right? Yeah. So uh, so if you love seafood, you know, your crabs, your prawns, <laughs> all manner of fish, uh, then we, you have to start uh, thinking, you know, more about seagrass conservation uh, because seagrasses are actually nursery grounds and feeding grounds for many of the important fish and crustaceans, you know, that we find are a, a key part of the Malaysian cuisine. So, for instance, with our uh, student who studied uh, fish in fish in seagrass and coral reefs in the Johor Islands, she found that actually in the seagrass meadows around Pulau Tinggi, Pulau Sibu, and Pulau Babi Besar, those seagrass meadows had six times more juvenile fish in them than they had adults. This means that those re- they really are the kindergartens of the sea. That's what we're starting to call seagrass now, the kindergartens of the sea. 
So, uh, so that's why a lot of people think, oh, they're not very interesting fish in there. They're not many things. Yeah, that's because we can't see them. They're all tiny juvenile specks, you know, uh, in the water that you can't really see, but so critically important. So really important as um, feeding and nursery grounds. So if we value our seafood, we've really got to value seagrasses. Apart from that, mm-hmm. they also filter water really well. Um, and this was found out by a group of scientists who went to Sulawesi uh, about a decade ago and went snorkeling in the coral reefs and all came down with really bad diarrhea. Oh, no. and, that, and they realized that that's because they were in the water where there was a lot of sewage flowing out onto the coral reefs. And, and that caused, that made one of the PhD students there to be interested to study the function of seagrasses because she thought, you know, what if the seagrasses can actually moderate effects of sewage on coral reefs? And what she found was that uh, in, in waters, you know, in coral reefs where you have seagrasses, there's 50% less bacteria and uh, E. coli bacteria that comes from sewage in the water compared to areas without seagrasses. And in areas with seagrasses, you have 50% less prevalence of pathogens, you know, that can cause diseases in corals, fish, and crustaceans. So I think that's an amazing thing. Seagrasses, if you have them there, they give you clean and clear water. That's amazing. That's like a, like a first line of defense almost, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So so I, I my, my mind gets blown every time I think about how this humble plants are doing so much actually for the, for maintaining the biodiversity of our seas. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, you know, in my, in my uh, intro earlier, I mentioned that they're also, they're the main diet of dugongs and green turtles. I mean, that also always captures the attention of our locals, right? Um, can you elaborate a little bit on that as well? Yes, absolutely. They are the dugongs uh, and sea turtles, green turtles, actually, they, they live and they feed in seagrass meadows um, and we've seen we've seen quite a bit of that activity uh, where we work in the Johor Islands, especially around Pulau Sibu and Pulau Tinggi. Like everywhere you turn, you like you see a turtle surfacing, you know. <laughs> and so when we, yeah, it's like until we we like all oh, these turtles everywhere. We're surrounded by turtles just popping up to breathe after feeding. And when we pull our underwater cameras. Um, Every so often, we will actually actually see recorded on our screen a turtle sitting there munching away on the seagrass. So it's it's fantastic to see the meadow used like that. And in a project that uh, we at the University of Malaya did with the Marisat Research Organization, uh, we worked on dugongs there in Pulau Sibu. Uh, and it was uh, such, such a cool project to work on because when dugongs feed, they, you know, they hoover up all the sand and the seagrass yeah. in their downward facing mouth. And that leaves a snaking trail. We call it a dugong feeding trail. And we, when we dragged our cameras underwater, we attached that to a GPS. We were able to map out where they were feeding. And this told us that, you know, they were, they were really using the, the seagrass meadow in Pulau Sibu really intensively, you know, uh, throughout all the seasons, they were there. And the dugongs even had favorite feeding grounds. You know, they had favorite feeding spots within the meadow. Wow. Like they like they like to feed like in the center of the meadow compared to the edges. So it was a really cool finding actually. Uh, and it really brought home to us the fact that even though dugongs are very shy and we don't see them easily, 
But really, the data shows us that they are using the meadow really intensively. Mm-hmm. And and we've seen right. There's a concerted effort to sort of. I mean, their numbers also are dwindling. So all of this also leads to um, you know their survival and their protection as well, isn't it? Yes, yes. So um, we, uh, th- this is why uh, we really enjoy working across universities and also uh, with NGOs actually to work to work on all levels of the ecosystem. So for myself, I look at the seagrass. But I also like working with uh, Dugong researchers, uh, Dr. Luisa and the Marisat Research Organization. They handle the actual Dugong part. Uh, I also enjoy working with people uh, who work with the humans surrounding the meadow because the humans have a huge impact on the meadow and they get a lot from the meadow as well. So people like Dr. Serena Rahman, for example, and the club Alami Tajung Kupang, uh, I really enjoy working with them because I see a different dimension coming into play in seagrasses there. And now we are going to start working. Uh, looks like we are going to start. We may be starting work, working on sea turtles as well, you know, oh, nice. uh, especially with the uh, UMT researchers, Dr. Uzer, Dr. Maiza. So that's another exciting new thing that I, I hope comes to fruition. Okay, that's, that's excellent. And you're right, isn't it? I mean, everybody needs to sort of like, it's usually quite fragmented, but when you guys work together, so much more discoveries and learnings, you know, that you guys are going to collectively come up with, isn't it? So that's really wonderful to hear. Um, Let's just go for one quick break, Gillian. And when we come back, let's talk about the threats, Uh, you know, the seagrasses face. I'm speaking today to Dr. Gillian Wee. She's a marine ecologist. She's a senior lecturer at the University of Malaya. It's another episode of the ABCs of Biodiversity on Earth Matters, where we explain why biodiversity loss is our loss. Our focus today is, of course, on seagrasses. We'll have more after this quick break. You're listening to Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Welcome back. This is Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture. I'm Juliet Jacobs. It's another episode of the ABCs of Biodiversity, a series where we explain why biodiversity loss is our loss. And this month, we're focusing on seagrasses and helping us to explain why seagrasses are so critical to us and to the survival of um, a lot of marine uh, animals and, you know, the marine ecosystem is Dr. Gillian Wee. She's a marine ecologist. She's a senior lecturer at the University of Malaya, and she's a very, very favorite guest of mine on the show. Um, Thanks again for joining us, Gillian. So before the break, you explained, you know, all the different ecosystem services, you know, why they're so important. But we do know that seagrass meadows are declining across the world. Am I correct? Um, Can you explain why? Yes, they are declining across the world. Um, in Southeast Asia, the, the most recent estimate um, uh, by a group of scientists who, uh, who have been doing work uh, ranging from Japan and right down here to Malaysia and Singapore, uh, we collected our data and this came out in a paper recently. And we think that we estimate that seagrasses in Southeast Asia are declining at a rate of uh, 5% every year. Wow. So that's, that's, quite, a, that's quite a lot. Um, uh, the estimate is that 65% of existing meadows that we know of in Southeast Asia are on the decline. They're on a downward trend. And this is mainly because of uh, water pollution, mm-hmm. you know, sewage runoff that goes out uh, into the seagrass meadow. This leads to uh, seaweeds blooming instead of seagrass. Because the seaweeds will always like get the nutrients faster than the seagrasses can take them up. And they'll bloom, they'll grow all over the seagrasses, and eventually the seagrasses below them will suffocate and die. So pollution is a 
big problem. There's a second big problem, especially I think here in Malaysia, would be the threat of land reclamation. So land reclamation is when you take sand and you dump it onto a shallow uh, shoal, you know, to build up uh, land artificially. And usually developers like to target seagrass meadows because they look upon seagrass as being, oh, that's just grass, <laughs> you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and the seagrass is, is a great place to reclaim because seagrasses actually help to build up the land. You know, they capture sediment around them. And that's why seagrass meadows are the ones that are really, really shallow. They get shallower throughout the years as they build up land beneath them. And that's always the target area for developers who want to reclaim land because it's just so much cheaper, you know, uh, to build a new island on that shallow uh, plot of seagrass meadow. Mm -hmm. So that's a big threat to us. Uh, there are lots of plans for reclamation all around uh, Malaysia. Yeah. Um, uh, we've seen it happening in Selat Tebrau, in Johor. We've seen, uh, we've, there's been interest in reclaiming the seagrass meadows in uh, Penang as well, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. we call the Marambong Shoal or Middle Bank. Uh, uh, sorry, not Marambong Shoal. In Penang, it's the Middle Bank. Uh, and also there's threats on the east coast as well of Johor. Um, I really hope that uh, people, people, become uh, become more aware of seagrasses in the next few years so that developers then also get educated about what they need to look out for areas that they think uh, are barren ground and it's just grass mm -hmm. they need to change their perceptions of that so i hope that happens very soon Okay, I mean, you've been doing a lot of work there and we are going to continue helping you do that, um, you know, make uh, create more awareness about the importance. And you're right, there's uh, reclamation plans where Malacca, there's Penang, I mean, like all over Malaysia is really quite insane. Uh, I, I know some activists are trying to call for a moratorium on it. Let's, let's see what happens there. Um, I guess, you know, what would happen if there was an absence of seagrass communities? Maybe you can help elaborate on that. What would happen if there was an absence of seagrass communities? Uh, well, for, for the first thing is you would find that all your favorite food would disappear. Mm -hmm. uh, the seafood that you like to eat, you know, all your, your flower crabs, your uh, rabbit fish, you know, your ikan keke, <laughs> uh, emperor fish, all that, all those uh, species that, that uh, live and feed in seagrasses and breed in seagrasses, you'd find that all disappearing so prices for seafood will go up um, and this I think would be uh, have very far-reaching consequences because it's you know it's not just about us not having our favorite seafood this is going to affect the poorest of the poor in Malaysia mm -hmm. because the poorest of the poor are usually our coastal communities when the seagrass meadow gets shallow, you know, when the tide goes down and they can access the seagrass meadow, you see a lot of coastal communities with a bucket in hand and a shovel going out, walking out to the seagrass meadow just to look for crabs and clams, you know, uh, and to collect what they can for their food at night. So that happens with our boatmen as well. When we do our work, our boatmen will go and collect some of those clams and all. And he says, this is for my family for tonight. So that's like literally a, a, like a supermarket for people who would otherwise not be able to eat very well. Mm -hmm. So um, 
and and if the seagrass meadow were to be lost, say we were to reclaim everything, and these people who depend on the seagrass meadow, where would they go then to get their food? Because getting the food from a seagrass meadow is a low cost way. You know, you don't really need a boat if you go to an intertidal meadow. All you need is a bucket and your own bare hands. And we call that activity gleaning. Mm -hmm. So what would happen to all the gleaners of seagrass meadows? They would get heavily impacted. And these are already people who, who are, you know, find it hard already yeah. find it hard already so find life generally hard so now then we would be really you know putting them into a corner so that would be the first big thing that we we would see apart from that we would find biodiversity in general reducing so you know in Johor uh, the, the uh, human communities are really proud of their uh, dugong and turtle and seahorse uh, populations because that's like synonymous with them you know like dugongs yeah, like Pulau Sibu, you know, people are proud of it. What, what if the dugongs don't return because the seagrasses aren't there anymore? Then what, what would you have? So it's possible to have uh, ecotourism value if you have the seagrasses around. But if the seagrasses are not around, then you start to lose all this. You know, tourists would not find your waters as clear and beautiful anymore. Mm -hmm. They would not see as interesting animals in the water anymore. They look to other countries as alternatives for ecotourism. So that would impact Malaysia, you know, in a big way. Okay. Apart from that, what would happen to carbon sequestration, you know, because seagrasses sequester carbon. So what would happen to Malaysia's uh, targets for maintaining all our blue carbon, uh, blue carbon ecosystems with uh, seagrasses being one of the most effective storage of carbon. So we would not be able to hit our international targets. We would not be able to, to uh, report our international targets in terms of carbon sequestration very well at all mm -hmm. if that were to happen. Okay. And, and it's, it's huge, right? The, the, the role that seagrasses play in mitigating climate change, right? I mean, they, um, they can sequester, what, 740 pounds of carbon per annum? These are just some, some stats I was reading. It's, it's insane, right? The amount that they can do. Yes. And they do it so well because all that carbon is locked away, undisturbed below them, kept up really more in the sediment than in the plant. Uh, and because it's a water-locked uh, condition, you know, um, uh, so the, car the carbon really, really is stored there and doesn't escape as easily as the carbon that is stored in the soil on land because that's easily disturbed. So this is why so much carbon is actually stored underwater in seagrass uh, meadows. Uh, uh, and then, of course, if we disturb them, then all that carbon gets released back to the environment again. And then we start complaining about, you know, uh, things getting too hot for us, more extreme storm events and all more flash floods. So that's really a high impact on our daily lives, actually, if we were to lose seagrasses and their blue carbon functions. Mm -hmm. So it's not just environmental, it's also social, it's also just, um, yeah, there's so many different facets to it, right? If we lose these very humble seagrass, uh, which, as you mentioned, are just, you know, taken for granted, unfortunately, quietly working away, lah, pretty much, to protect us. Yes, absolutely. They're they are actually our invisible superheroes. <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> So underappreciated. Okay, all right. And you've been working on many projects, right? You've got Team C Habitats. Um, is that still ongoing? Uh, tell me a little bit about some of your current projects that you're that you're working on. 
Yes, Team Sea Habitats is uh, is our lab at the University of Malaya. You know, uh, it's not it's not just me. I study seagrasses in Team Sea Habitats, but we also have uh, Afendi who studies coral reefs in Sea Habitats. We also have Dr. Noor Adila who studies the genetic basis of ecosystems. You know, uh, Dr. Sadev Sharma who studies mangroves. So we are all interested in not just studying our own ecosystem, the, the ones that that attracts us the most. But we're also interested in studying how they're linked to other ecosystems. Like for me, seagrasses, they're all they're not the they're important, but they're important in the sense that they are, they also impact coral reefs and mangroves and vice versa. So uh, we team sea habitats, we we have been lying a bit low because of the pandemic, oh, uh, but still still trudging away, working hard, and we're getting ready now to go out into the field again and to continue collecting data. But yes, our team of postgraduate students are all still doing well um, and totally into marine conservation and totally totally excited about their science projects. That's awesome. And of course, you know, now that we're going, I mean, 1st of April is just around the corner. You know, things are things are looking up, I hope. And we'll also look up for you guys, uh, especially for your field research. And I mean, some really exciting news, Gillian. Of course, you are one of the six experts recognized this year by the Pew Fellows Program in Marine Conservation. I understand it's a three-year fellowship. What are you going to be working on? Yes, I will be working on um, two issues that I think is... Um, uh, problematic in seagrass conservation. One would be the the low receptiveness towards seagrass, you know, the low awareness about seagrass. And the second would be about seagrass restoration. So with regards to the first one, uh, I'm really excited about the part where I try to raise awareness about seagrass because when I'm not studying seagrasses, when I'm not doing science, I'm also a musician. Mm-hmm. I'm a gamla musician. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, in bronze, of and course. Rhythm, yes, the rhythm in bronze gamlan ensemble. Um, and uh, the pew is allowing me to actually explore how I can use the cultural arts approach, you know, using the performing arts, but with the gamlan as the main medium of expression, use that to, to, um, to create narratives about seagrass, you know, about the need to conserve them to create narratives about how coastal communities use seagrasses and depend on them. Mm-hmm. So I'll be working with um, a team of performing artists, you know, com- consisting of composers, artistic directors, choreographers, lyricists, to try to see if we can shape a composition um, that will tell the story, a, a compelling emotive story, about seagrass and the need wow. to conserve it. So that's the first one. Oh, it's really and exciting. The, <laughs> gosh. Okay. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really excited uh, to see, you know, what compositions and music I can create, you know. Uh, so I'm really grateful that the Pew has agreed, uh, had, has uh, given me this opportunity. Uh, so the other part of, of the project would be the more science aspect of the project. Um, dealing with seagrass restoration. I mean, I've already said seagrasses are being threatened, they're declining, you know, um, and we really need to take action. And one of the action is to, we have to study how to restore them. However, uh, projects to restore them, lots of interest in the last 10 years, but the success rate, especially here in Southeast Asia, hasn't been very high. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, we, haven't got very in, we haven't got very consistent rates of success. 
okay. uh, when we restore seagrass. We find that every time we take seagrasses and we transplant them out, they grow very well for the first year. And then we say, yeah, it's successful. However, after that, they'll disappear. And this is because they get swept away because apparently one of the problems is their roots don't develop as well. So we actually lack an understanding of how roots develop in seagrasses. So plants are only as strong as their roots. So this is what I'm going to focus on for the other part of the Pew Fellowship. I'm going to be studying roots, you know, everything that's underground uh, to understand how we can actually optimize our seagrass restoration methods when we take roots, uh, what roots need into account. Okay, wow, you've got your work cut out for you there. There's quite a lot and I guess, you know, a nice marriage of all your, well, I wouldn't say all, but some of your major interests as well, but uh, all, yeah, that's coming together. That's really, really exciting. Yes, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to studying work on the music composition, actually, <laughs> in particular. <laughs> Okay. Well, that's excellent. And I'm really happy to hear that. And I hope, you know, we catch up, um, you know, once the fellowship is done to see how everything was. But, you know, thank you so much for joining me today, Gillian. Um, before I let you go, any last message you'd like to leave us with on why, again, you know, the series is how biodiversity loss is our loss. Any last message with regard to, you know, the loss of seagrass and how that will affect us ultimately? Yes, I would like to say that um, as human beings, uh, we are wired to to actually disregard plants. As human beings, we are wired to notice animals, but not plants. But I think in this age of uh, conservation, where we are starting to find out that actually plants create ecosystems and ecosystems are the basis of food chains and, uh, and provide protection to all the animals that, they, that we hold dear to us. I think we've got to start shifting our minds to pay more regard to supporting conservation for plants, including seagrasses. So I look, I really look forward to uh, using the opportunity that the Pew Marine Fellowship gives me to create more awareness about seagrasses. And I hope that uh, everyone who comes along on this ride will eventually see what actually charismatic plants seagrasses are and how important they are uh, in serving us you know giving us seafood and in, in regulating the climate for us i i really hope that in the next three to five years we see a shift in the mindset of malaysians okay i really hope so too Gillian, and i will be here to support you in whatever way we can uh, but thank, you, thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today. I've been speaking to Dr. Gillian Wee. She's a marine ecologist. She's a senior lecturer at the University of Malaya. And she uh, it was another episode of the ABCs of Biodiversity, where we explain why biodiversity loss is our loss. And of course, our focus was on seagrasses. If you'd like to keep updated with uh, Dr. Gillian's work and her team's work as well, just head to teamchabitats.weebly.com. That's W-E-E-B-L-Y.com. And I'm sure you guys are on social media as well, right? Yes, we are. We are on social media as well. You can look us up under Project Pule, P-U-L-I-H. Yes, and I mean, we spoke to you and uh, Fendi last year about that. So we'll, we'll link that podcast there. People are interested to find out more. Um, and if you miss any part of today's interview, you can always download the podcast at bfm.my slash earth, or you can find it on the BFM app. This has been Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.